Welcome to the contemporary service at Church of the Palms. We are so delighted that you have joined us. Well, you may have noticed that the pandemic has given us all sorts of opportunities to connect via technology. And as frustrating as technology can be, thank God for technology. And thank God for the amazing volunteers who are behind the scenes and know how all of that works. And with that, we have an opportunity for you. Because of a generous grant that we received from the foundation, we have been able to purchase video equipment for the Campus Center and for a small recording studio. So here's what we need. We need seven people, just seven. It's a biblical number, it's a great thing. Seven people who are willing to be a part of this very important and growing ministry for us. No experience is required. We will train you how to use the cameras and all kinds of other cool stuff. If you are interested, if you want to learn more, please reach out to Sarah Soboleski, long last name, at churchofthepalms.org. You can find her name and her information on the website, and of course you can call the front office for more information. If cameras and technology are not your thing, we are also in the process of moving our drive-through food pantry to the original walk-up food pantry, which means that we again have an opportunity to pack bags of food at 8 a.m. Monday through Friday, as well as needing some volunteers who will hand out the food to our neighbors. This is beginning September 14th. So this, as we've been doing throughout this pandemic, you can register on our website to sign up and we really, really need some help with the new way that the food pantry will be running again. As a congregation, we are going to be reading and discussing the book Love Does by Bob Goff. This is a wonderful book full of great stories. But the best part about this is that you can join a small group to discuss the book. So if you haven't done it already, please contact Mingy Brown and her information as well is on our website and sign up for a small group. It's only a 10-week commitment. We finish just before Advent. The first groups begin the week of September 13th, and you'll have a great way to connect with your church family, discuss a fun book, get to know each other. So we hope that you will do that today. You may have seen that the new Connect magazine is out. It is online, and of course, there are some copies that are printed in the office as well. Here's what we want you to do. Turn to page nine, because as we explore this first fruit of the Spirit, love, which you'll be hearing a lot more about, we want you to take this image. You can cut it out of your magazine or download the image and write in this line what love is to you. And then take a picture like Jackie and Bao have done here, and they put, love is teamwork. Take that picture, send it to Jackie by September 21st. She will put together an awesome video montage so we can see each other and, and what we think about love. Well, we had a wonderful first God in Hollywood last Wednesday evening. This week, we invite you to watch the movie The Elephant Man and then register online for the Zoom link and join Pastor Steve for a great discussion next Wednesday, September 9th at 6.30. 
As always, we are so grateful for your support and for your generosity of the ministry and the mission here at Church of the Palms. We couldn't do it without you. There are four ways to give as you have been doing. We just encourage you to continue to worship God with your offering and your tithes, even though we're apart. It is such an honor to live into our mission of loving God and loving neighbor. And finally, we had a fabulous fall kickoff last Sunday. Because of some amazing volunteers and your wonderful staff, we were able to serve 344 people, 40 dogs, one cat, with 181 cars and one bicycle. I gotta tell you, the love and the joy were contagious. And here's a short video that captured some of the highlights.
time in our service where we have the opportunity to offer our prayers of confession and our prayers for one another. You may email me with any prayer concerns you have at lhaas at churchofthepalms.org. We continue to remember 16-month-old Tannen and his family as he battles leukemia. And my husband asked for prayers to endure 2020, the year of the pandemic racial injustice, political divisiveness, and no Big Ten football. So with that, let us pray. Gracious God, on this Labor Day weekend, we give you thanks for all those who work in stores and markets, in restaurants and fields, on ships and planes, in the armed forces, in factories and warehouses, 
in hospitals and churches, in offices and classrooms. God, we benefit from the labor of so many people, many of whom we never see. Thank you for their good work and faithful service. May our employment call us to our best and unite us with each other so that we can serve our brothers and sisters and your world through our work. May all that we do bring glory and honor to your name. In this time of racial injustice and unrest, we pray that we might experience the grace and humbleness of God the Son. Help us to humble ourselves even unto death for the sake of our siblings. Lord, teach us to not strive for anything, but in all things humble ourselves as you did through the incarnation and in your crucifixion. Give us your grace that we might always extend grace to others. In this time of pandemic and calls for racial justice, we pray that we might be like God, our divine parent, father and mother, loving beyond our comprehension. Through this love, you birthed the universe, the vastness of galaxies and the preciousness of infants. Father God, teach us to embrace our siblings with the love that only a parent knows. Mother God, give us your patience to never give up on one another or the causes of justice in our world. In this time of fear and anxiety, Holy Spirit, commune with us. Equip us, strengthen us, convict us, and encourage us toward becoming a more loving people and a more holy and complete church. We confess that we have pushed you aside, squelched your work, because within us we are afraid of what a spirit-driven life might mean. We confess that we do not love others as we should. Forgive us and empower us to build the beloved community of God here in our midst. And now, gracious and loving God, from the comforts of our home, we lift up to you all of the people we know and even those we don't who are suffering physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Hear our prayer, O Lord. We give you thanks for hearing our requests and for carrying our burdens. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Friends, today is a new day. Believe the good news of the gospel that in Jesus Christ you are forgiven. You are free to love and serve the Lord with all the creativity and giftedness that God has provided you. Thanks be to God, amen. Well, as most of you have heard, we are looking forward to reopening our facilities for corporate worship on Sunday, October the 11th. 
As you can see, there's still more work to be done here in the sanctuary as well as over in the campus center to be ready for you. So we pushed back our reopening date just a couple more weeks to October the 11th. The path of the virus is appearing to head in the right direction and now we know that many of you are ready to return. We will be offering our regular worship schedule, 9 a.m. here in the sanctuary, 10 a.m. over in the campus center, and 11 a.m. back here in the sanctuary. You will need to register for your service of choice so that we can assure that we have room for you at that particular service since seating will be limited due to social distancing. We will be requiring masks to be worn and social distancing to be maintained. No bulletins or hymnals or passing the plate. There will be no congregational singing due to the increased risk such activity produces. So lots of details to follow. Likely more of you than not will feel the need to remain home and that's quite all right and we assure you that we will continue our pre-recorded online services that include all the traditional elements that you're used to through which you can worship at home. Everybody will have the chance to experience still the full Church of the Palms life. So good news, we're moving forward with every prayer that we can remain well and healthy and we will continue, which will continue to be our number one priority. As you've seen uh, earlier this moment, our big kickoff Sunday was last Sunday, and we had that wonderful chance to experience the drive-through, and we hope that that was of help to you to get you started on the journey of exploring the fruit of the Spirit. Each month, we are going to be focusing on each of the fruit of the Spirit, as enumerated in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This, this month, we get started with the fruit of love. Now, Love is a pretty big topic, and we talk a lot about love around here, but love can mean a lot of different things, but the English language has pretty much only one word for love, and it doesn't make it easy for us to tease out all the variations of love from that word. So we thought it might be interesting to look at the four Greek words for love. Greek has four words for love, and each of the Greek words for love points to a different kind of love. And the four Greek words are these, storge which is family love, phileo, or friendship love, eros, romantic love, and agape, sacrificial or godly love. So over these next four Sundays, we're going to look at these four loves in that very order, starting today with the Greek word storge, meaning family love or the love of family. Now, with every fruit of the Spirit as we make our way through this year, we're going to challenge you to do something very tangible to exhibit that particular fruit. So in this month of love, we want to challenge you to practice the fruit of the Spirit by doing something pretty simple, and that is just writing a letter, a love letter specifically, we want to challenge you to write a love letter to somebody in your life. Maybe it's a, a love letter to a family member or maybe to your spouse or partner. Maybe, maybe it's a love letter to a friend that you've so appreciated. Or maybe it's a love letter even to someone with whom you are estranged. Or maybe it's all the above and you can write a letter every week. I guarantee you though that there is someone in your life that could really use a love letter from you or a love email, I suppose. So think about it and sometime this month, sit down, write a love letter to somebody in your life and we will hope to give you a chance later this month for you to share some of what that experience was like as you went about your love letter writing. 
Now back to storge. Storge, this word from, for family love, is actually not a word that we actually find in the New Testament, at least not the word itself. And yet there is story after story in Scripture where this family love is both exhibited and is challenged in many ways. And we find such examples in our two lessons this morning from the Old Testament and from the New Testament. The first one from Genesis chapter 33 and then the second from Mark chapter 7. Now this story from Genesis 33 is a part of a larger story of the family of Isaac and Rebekah who had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Esau, by virtue of being the firstborn of this twin set, was entitled to the ranking position among the two brothers. But Jacob and his, and his mother Rebekah conspire within the family to ensure that Jacob gets what was due Esau. And what follows is a great rift in the family with Jacob going one way, Esau going the other, vowing never to see each other as brothers again. And they spend years apart and then finally Esau, the one with a greater grievance, Esau has this change of heart and makes his way back to Jacob. And here's how the story goes, Genesis chapter 33 verses 1 through 11. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with the children in the front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And finally Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor with you, my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand. For truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have everything I want. So he urged him, and so he took it. And then this word from Mark chapter 7, verses 23, 24 through 30. From there Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But, but she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table will eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. By your grace, O Lord, and through your mercy, we pray that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. Leo Tolstoy, in his great novel, Anna Karenina, begins the epic story with this line, all happy families are alike, each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. There's a lot to unpack from that line, and it takes about 900 pages for Mr. Tolstoy to do so. The line itself ends up on just about every literary critic's top 10 list of opening lines, and in large part, I believe, because it speaks to the happiness as well as the unhappiness of being a family. Nowhere in the universe will you find the gravity of love more felt than within the tree of a family. Nowhere are expectations for love so high, and nowhere are successes and failures so intertwined and keenly felt. Richard Cohen, a political reporter, told the story years ago of the day he took his, his boy Ben, his son Ben, on a train ride in New York City. The, the boy had been battling some illness, a rash of some sort that had become, been uncomfortable, and the trip into New York was, a, was first of all a trip to the doctor, but then after the doctor's appointment, Dad was going to take his son on a train ride. The, the boy loved trains. They were his passion. So the train ride was an ample reward for the boy having to cope with this uncomfortable rash. So you can imagine how excited this boy was to anticipate not only a ride on the train, but a ride on a train with his dad. After the doctor's appointment, they made their way over to the train station to take a ride out of the city and then back in. When the train arrived, father and son hopped on board, minding, of course, the gap between the platform and the train, always a little hair-raising when you have a young child. And after getting on the train and taking a couple steps, Ben, the son, looked back and noticed that his father had dropped his work ID on the platform. Look, Dad, your work ID, Ben said. And Richard, the father, looked back, spotted the ID, and then he told his son to wait right inside the train while he jumped out to pick up the card. And just as he was picking up the card, he heard his boy yell, let me help, Dad. And when Richard heard this, he instinctively held up his arm in the universal parental no position. But it was this very gesture, this gesture of protection that knocked the boy off balance and he fell into the gap between the platform and the train. Cohen describes the nightmare. I have covered bloody conflict from Lebanon to El Salvador. I have never, though, known the razor-sharp terror like that uncertain moment when a little person, your little person, is in mortal danger and you don't know what to do. I pleaded with startled travelers not to let the doors close. Trains with open doors don't move. People were horrified, motionless, mannequins. I guess no one knew what to do. My God, I quickly wondered, where is the third, where's the third rail humming with electricity? Ben, don't move, as I yelled and adjusted my eyes to the darkness, and I saw him half prostrate in front of a wheel, twice his size. He was trying to get to his feet. Put your hands in the air, son. Put your hands up high, as high as you can. And two little 
tightly clenched fist appear below the level of the platform. I drop to my belly, scoop up the day's child that I had knocked down there in the first place. No hero in this story, just the survivors of a self-inflicted wound. Cohen goes on to write, in war, your number is up when it's up. Even at home, though, on the battlefield that really matters, our hold on life is fragile. Sometimes we get only one mistake, and our children can only look up at us. The trust in the eyes of a child is overpowering, especially when you know you have failed and have been now given a second chance. Nowhere in the universe will you find the gravity of love most felt than within the family tree. Nowhere are expectations for love so high, and nowhere are successes and failures so intertwined and keenly felt. It's interesting, isn't it, that when the story of God and God's people gets told through the pages of Scripture, it seems like a chronicle of dysfunctional family after dysfunctional family. Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel, and Cain and Abel have their issues. Abraham and Sarah have trouble having a family, and when they do, there's even more trouble to come. Isaac and Rebekah raise two sons who won't talk to each other. Jacob manages to cook up among his children a stew of sibling rivalry. Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, cling to each other in the midst of life's cruel fates. King David and his family broken apart by betrayal betrayal and unfaithfulness. Jesus tells the story of the father who had two sons who were not on the same page. And then in our story this morning, a desperate mother who will do anything to get Jesus to heal her girl. Nowhere are expectations for love so high than in a family. And nowhere are successes and failures so intertwined and so keenly felt. Such a fragile gift, isn't it, that God should choose to give us mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, grandmothers and grandfathers, for there is this overpowering stir that arises in the hearts of those whom there is this, who share this connection of storge, familial love. I remember when the nurse placed into my arms my first and only born, and there came instinctively this, this bond, this grafting, this, this intertwining whining that I knew I could not walk away even if I wanted to. And the same was the case when they put my grandchild in my arms just a year ago. There comes a time when a couple stands together and exchanges rings and vows and whisper to each other, you are mine and I am yours. There are all sorts of opportunities that we have to experience this store gay love. Brothers and sisters travel down separate paths with separate personalities and separate tales to tell, and yet as different as they may be, there remains still the cord that holds them together even when they tire of holding on to each other. But as I said, Storge is a fragile gift because after all, it is humans who fill these roles, who take up branches on the family tree, and, and human beings have their way of not living up to the gold standard. Human beings have their way of being 
human and of possessing glaring limitations, selfish motives, distracted hearts, and mercurial emotions. And sometimes, oftentimes, we're not on our best behavior. Yet there remains still this precious gift of God, this storge love that keeps pushing us toward those that we have been given to love. For that is what family is, isn't it? Those we have been given to love. And Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, it's the young boy, Jem, who reminds his Aunt Alexander of his father's wisdom. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And they're still kin to you, no matter whether you acknowledge them or not, he says. And it makes you look right silly when you don't. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And yet there we are, having been mysteriously chosen for each other. And while there are forces within and without that conspire to pull us apart from each other, nevertheless, deep within is this gravitational pull toward each other, this connection so hard to deny. And maybe it's this pull and this push, this connection that forces us to learn about love in a way like no other. Family love takes us to deep places that we may not want to go ourselves. It makes me think of an article I read a long time ago in the Wall Street Journal back in the 1980s. I clipped it and kept it. It was about the Henderson family from up in Jennings, Missouri. Three-person family, mom, dad, son, Presbyterian, dad and elder, mom and sons sing in the choir. Dad somewhat personifies the distant father, busy doing his work and volunteering, mom sticking a little closer to home. Every family, of course, has its own dance, its own balance, its own configuration, its own tree branches. But they figured out how to be a family as best they could, just like the rest of us. And then came the conversation between son and father, where the son tells the father that he's gay. And because it's 25 years ago, dad just doesn't know what to do with this news. He's a factor guy, doesn't know about these things. And so there's more distance. And it doesn't keep dad from saying, I, I don't understand, son, but I love you. I don't understand, but I love you. And then years later comes the phone call from the son to say that he has AIDS and he doesn't know what to do. And because it's the 1980s, they really don't have any great treatment and that he's alone now. And so Mr. and Mrs. Henderson talk about it and they realize that of the two of them, the one who can most easily leave the job is him. So he drives up to Chicago where his son lives and he moves in and he learns how to wash clothes and learns how to give medicine and learns how to empty bedpans and he learns whatever he needs to learn to be a dad to his boy and he holds his boy's hand until the good Lord takes him home. It's what families do. Mr. Henderson said. And maybe that's what Esau was saying when he turned his face in the direction of his brother. A lot of pain, a lot of pride to swallow. But it's what families do. 
Maybe that's what was in the back of the mind of that hysterical mother kneeling at Jesus' feet, making a bit of a fool of herself, casting her Gentile self in front of this Jewish holy man, begging him to make her girl well. It's what families do. Oh, I know each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. No truer words have been written. And I know the branches of each of our family trees can get gnarled and not hold, for we all have complicated stories. Nowhere are expectations for love so high, and nowhere are successes and failures so intertwined and keenly felt. And yet from beyond us, comes the sacred stir pushing us ever so gently toward each other. This treasure we possess inside clay jars, this love that will not let us go, this tree of which we will always be a branch. Friends, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So today, as we come to Christ's table, we bring our little branches from all of our family trees realizing that we are all engrafted into the great vine of Jesus Christ. And with it we bring our confession over perhaps not being the branch that we needed to be amidst the trees of our lives. And yet nevertheless to know that this vine draws us back such that we can be replenished again with his bread and cup to know that we are loved and that through us, Jesus seeks to love our families and our world. Hear the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. I have received with the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the same night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat of this, remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. When you drink it, remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again and he will come again. Let us pray. By your grace, O oh Lord, you have invited us to this table. By your grace, you welcome us to this table. By your grace, you feed us at this table. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that we will allow that grace to make its way into our dry and gnarled branches, that we may bear fruit, the fruit of love, the fruit 
through which we may love our families and all those that you would put upon our path. So Lord, allow us to sense your presence, whether we be nearby or whether we be distant from each other, that we may know, O oh Lord, that you dwell among us and around us, and that you are the one that seeks to nurture us to become your children. For this we pray in Christ's name, amen. We invite you, of course, to find the elements of bread and juice or wine and partake with us this holy meal.
God, your grace is enough, and we're grateful, O Lord, that you have welcomed us back to your table. You have filled us with your bread and cup, and you have given us the food that we need in order to bear fruit. And so we ask, O Lord, that your grace would be enough through us on its way to others, that others, whether they be in our families, whether they be estranged, whether they be strangers, that others through us might come to know of your grace and they may find the fruit of love within our relationship with them. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.